Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer in Residence. Good to be with you. We only had a couple of shows last month. I wasn't doing too well for a while there, but back to as close to 100% as this old baseball lifer will ever get. We've got a guest, Bob Branco. I've been on his podcast. I've been a panelist on his show, Sports Roundtable, for some time now. Bob has come up with something. If you're looking for a game, most people will right away say video game or electronic game it has to be hooked up to the tv has to be hooked up to the phone and if you call a company like a maxi aids that makes games for the blind and sells them you're going to find all the old standbys checkers chess monopoly monopoly has gotten a facelift i might add so young blind players can play a different even more interesting game of monopoly than we did 50 years ago, but there's not a game that I saw that's completely new, and Bob Branco has come up with one. It's a baseball game for blind players and sighted players alike. It can be played with a spinner or dice or cards. Bob will go into the details, and the game is called Bobby Ball. We'll talk to Bob Branco about his creation if you keep it right where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an a rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here, and my guest got me into this. I was a panelist on his podcast, Sports Roundtable, and I decided that I would start this podcast. So my guest is... My mentor, if you will, Bob Branco. Bob, welcome. 
thank you for having me, Don. And I was glad to help out in helping you with your dream of creating a podcast of your own. Yes, thank you. Now, now, when we grew up, baseball then, before the internet, was a much more regional game than it has become. Where I grew up in New Jersey, it was open territory. I lived in the middle section of New Jersey, so it was a coin toss between the Yankees and the Mets where if I had been raised maybe 40 miles south of where I was, it would have been pretty much Philly's territory. Now, where you came from was up past Highway 84 in the land of Highway 91 and Highway Highway 90, and that is Massachusetts, and that especially then was Red Sox Nation. It still is for the most part. Tell me how you got into... The Red Sox. What was your beginnings with Boston? Well, back in 1967, and I forgot how it started, probably because I had relatives who talked about the Red Sox, and then I turned on the radio and heard references to baseball games and the Red Sox. I started to know the names of some of the players on the Red Sox, and so I started listening to ball games back in the summer of 1967. And little did I know at the time that the Red Sox were going to end up in a pennant race, a very significant pennant race. And as I learned later on, it was almost impossible for them to achieve what they achieved, which was a pennant at the end of 1967. And then they ended up in the World Series, which they ultimately lost. But I think the more important thing about 1967 was the Red Sox accomplished something that was against all odds because they were in ninth place the year before and they went from ninth place to first place within the space of one year and that was an honor i was proud of my team and it had been 21 years since they'd been in the world series they'd been in in 1946 against the cardinals and Lo and behold, 21 years later, who are they facing again but those darn Cardinals? Yes. And, of course, the big hit song at the time was The Impossible Dream from Man of La Mancha. That's correct. And the team, and presumably the media, co-opted that song and made that the whole theme of that baseball season and that pennant race, The Impossible Dream. There was an album called The Impossible Dream, which I believe the Red Sox produced. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a two-sided LP record of that season. I've got it. And, um, when you were, and when you were talking about songs, the song that I thought of initially was Carl Yastrzemski, because that song is on the album. Yes, I was given a tape recording of that to use as a rain delay feature. And for several years there, we used that, among other things. We had quite a collection, and we played most of them during rain delays during my years in the minor leagues. So audiences all over the country got to hear that album, the 67 Red Sox album, the 75 Red Sox album, the 72 Reds album. We had most of the Fleetwood 
albums thanks to a contributor who helped me get hold of a lot of my collection. Now, in 67, Don, I think I made a mistake. It was Ken Coleman who produced that album, wasn't it? And not the Red Sox? He was the narrating voice. He absolutely was. Yes. And I was going to say that that Boston, like New York, has been blessed with some exceptional announcers. And two of them are not in the Hall of Fame, but they ought to be. And one of them you've already mentioned, Ken Coleman. Tell me what you thought about him. I thought Ken Coleman was one of the best radio announcers of baseball games I have ever heard. He described the game well. He put you right in the middle of the action based on the way he pronounced his words, the way he used his words. He had you right there with him. And that's what a good radio announcer should be. Somebody who puts you right into the game. I cannot say that about all radio announcers. In fact, there are a lot of them that drive me crazy because they distract from baseball and they start talking about other things in the middle of the inning. All radio announcers should follow Ken Coleman's lead, in my opinion. Five runs on 13 hits and two errors for Boston. Four runs, eight hits, two errors for New York. Stanley ready. He throws, and the pitch is inside. It gets away from Gibbon, and the tying run is home. The tying run scores, and down to second base goes Knight. 55,078 fans go wild as the Mets, with two out and the base is empty in the last of the tenth, have tied it up. Knight at second. Three and two. The pitch. Ground ball to first base. Buckner. It goes by him. And here comes the winning one. The Mets have won it. Six to five on a ground ball to Buckner. That went through him. For what will have to be an error. Comes home and the Mets are still alive. And another Boston announcer who I think belongs in Cooperstown. I don't know why he's not there. His name is Ned Martin, the proud Another Marine. great one. Another great one. Yes. What a brilliant man I thought he was. Kurt Gowdy and Ned Martin here. We're going to the last of the 12th inning. Carlton Fisk. Fred Lynn and Rico Petroselli for the Red Sox against Pat Darcy. We've had 12 pitchers in the game, a new record. It's all tied, six all, and here's Ned again. Okay, Kurt, now it's Fisk up, and he hasn't had a hit since the first inning. He singled in. He has been intentionally passed twice. He is one for three officially. Game tied, 6-6. Darcy pitching. Fisk takes high and inside, ball one. Freddie Lynn on deck. There have been numerous heroics tonight, both sides. The 1-0 delivery to Fisk. He swings, long drive, left field. If it stays fair, it's gone. Home run! The Red Sox win! And the series is tied, three games apiece. For a lot of years, the Red Sox were known for 
breaking their fans' hearts in 46, in 67, in 75, which was the Ned Martin highlight that we played, and in 86, which was the highlight Ken Coleman did that we played. That changed dramatically in 2004. At long last, Red Sox fans had cause to cheer. They sure did. They sure did. And here's the thing. If you remember in 2003, Don, when the Red Sox played the Yankees in the ALCS, everybody talks about what Grady Little did in that eighth inning of that final game, that elimination game, when he left Pedro in too long and the Yankees went ahead. And then, of course, Aaron Boone, who is now the Yankees manager, beat Tim Wakefield in the 11th inning, taking the series from the Red Sox. And in a a way, you can classify that as another means by which Boston fans had their hearts broken. And then, of course, you know, you had 2004, which I'm not sure what the attitude of the rest of the fandom was in 2004 after what happened in 2003, even though the Red Sox acquired Keith Folk and Kurt Schilling in that offseason. I'm wondering how many fans said, oh, yeah, okay, right, now they're going to win the whole thing. We'll see. You know, they went and did it. Yes, they certainly did. They did it in one of the most painful playoff series in my experience with my Yankees ahead three games to nil, and then they go ahead and lose it in a couple of agonizing games. One went... 14 inning games, one one went 12, and then games six and seven. Well, six was the infamous bloody sock ball game, and game seven was just a demolition. That was rough. As a matter of fact, after the Yankees went up on the Red Sox three zip, the Red Sox won the next eight in a row to win it all. Correct. They took four from the Yanks and four in the World Series. And I think that was the Cardinals they beat to to sweep that World Series after a couple of painful losses against the Cardinals in decades gone by. Yes, it was the Cardinals. And since then, the Red Sox have won not one, but two, but three World Series. They beat the Rockies in 07. They won the series in 13. Then they beat the Dodgers in Four out of five in 2018. That was, and it, was their... the, it was the Cardinals in 13 anyway. Okay, well. I didn't didn't remember that. Yeah, they, they beat the Cardinals in 04. They beat the Cardinals again in 13. We're talking with Bob Branco on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Bob is the host of Sports Roundtable. We'll get along to that. Now, Bob, you were educated at one of the best-known schools for the blind that there is one of the ones that has the best reputation perkins in in boston that's correct i was there from 1969 as a fifth grader until the day i graduated on june 10th 1977 tell me about some of your memories growing up there i thought i received a quality education at perkins that's something that i will never forget I know there's been a lot of debate over the years about whether blind people should be mainstreamed in public schools. I maintain that they should be just to be a part of the sighted community, but I have no regrets about the education that I received at Perkins School. Everything was accessible. If ever I needed 
Braille books or anything accessible for me. It was there for me. The staff, of course, was very supportive. Uh, I liked most of my teachers and what they taught me. A lot of classes were fun. Dorm life, for the most part, was fun. I made a lot of friends. I still keep in touch with many today. I've had reunions of former Perkins students at different facilities in Massachusetts. Uh, I enjoyed my time at Perkins. It was a very good experience. Of course, sometimes I question some of the rules that they handed down at Perkins. I remember when Dr. Edward Waterhouse was director from way back in the day until the day he retired in 1971, boys and girls were not allowed to do much together. And I'm not talking dirty either, Don. I'm talking about interacting, uh, visiting each other in their cottages, uh, dating, kissing, holding hands, socializing. That's really all I'm talking about. It wasn't really allowed for teenagers of the opposite sex to interact until Ben Smith took over and changed all of that. Now, I never knew you, Bob, until we got on to In Perspective, your other podcast and Sports Roundtable. Finding work for a blind person has always been difficult. I was very fortunate to find mine in first the baseball world and then Alamo Rent-A-Car. But what did you do before you began doing your podcasts? Okay, well, I will describe some of the work that I had been doing since I graduated from college in 1983. I worked as a telemarketer for two years. I don't think I ever want to do that again. What a nightmare that job was. I did some of that. No, I, I don't like it. You become very unpopular. Yeah. With certain people who think you're harassing them. Which yes, you're you not. do. Right. And, and, it, and it's terrible. So we'll go to the more positive jobs. <laughs> I... I worked for a construction company as a receptionist for a while. And then I worked the same situation at a car dealership, ordering car parts for customers. I worked as a health benefits counselor for a government agency for the elderly. They call it the SHINE program here in Massachusetts. SHINE stands for serving the health, I forgot what the I stands for, needs of elders. And I worked at that job for several years. I've also written for certain newspapers, and I have my own magazine called Consumer Vision, which you might be familiar with. Indeed. And I also worked in the customer service field at an office supply company. I would have had some fun if some somebody, in fact, I have had some fun when I talk about my Alamo rent-a-car years. Uh, I make it clear that I never did the test drives. That would be interesting. Yeah. Now, actually, in my life, I've actually had two turns behind the wheel. Did you ever have a friend who said, hey, why don't you take a seat behind the wheel just for a minute, just so you know what it feels like? I don't think I've ever had that experience. I had one uh, in my friend's tempo and after that was totaled, not by me, um, I had a ride in his Buick, which I was behind the wheel of until the police pulled into the parking lot where we were driving. And that's the only way to do it is in an empty parking lot if you're blind. Because there's no way to hit anybody. Right. 
And my brother gave me a chance to pilot his boat with his direction and his advice. And again, it was an empty ocean. There wasn't any chance of me hitting anyone out there. Well, I have a blind friend who does a lot of sailing, and that's part of what he does. We've talked about that. I've interviewed him on In Perspective. His name is Matthew Chow, and he went to Perkins, too. And he spent most of his life sailing. Now, he's a blind sailor. So that may have come up in his life as well, Don, where he had that experience. Although I'm not sure exactly what, if it relates to yours directly, but I can picture a similar situation that he may have talked about on my podcast, where he was doing things like that while he was sailing. Oh, I hope he found it as enjoyable as I did. One of the things that you do is there's a group, and I'm going to want you to go into some detail about the group. You take your group to Fenway Park. Now, before you got involved with your group, did you have chances to go to Fenway Park either with your school when you were a kid or in other situations when you were an adult? My first experience at Fenway Park was in 1978. I went with a blind group and the Red Sox were playing the Milwaukee Brewers. It was in April of 1978. That was my first experience. I also went to Fenway Park on other occasions. So I, I had been there a lot before I started taking my group there annually. So now tell me about the group. Who are they and how did you get into taking them to Fenway year after year? And how long has that been going on? Okay. It's been going on since 2016. I think the only year we didn't go was 2020 because of COVID. And don't forget, they had no fans in the stands that year. Right. But every other year since 2016, I've taken my group to Fenway Park for a Red Sox outing, normally in either July or August. I've known most of these people for a long time, so it was very easy to invite them to go with me. Many of them are baseball fans. We even have a Yankee fan that goes with us to Red Sox games. How do you even like though, that? E even though we don't play the Yankees when we go. Right. But she makes the sacrifice, and she likes going on these trips no matter what. And she tells me all the time she's a Yankee fan. She reminds me of that as much as possible. <laughs> Yet, when I invite her to go to a Red Sox game, she goes. Uh, normally, we have 25 to as much as 50 people. I remember one point we had 54 people go to a game. And normally we sit in a handicap accessible section over at Fenway Park because a lot of people in my group have physical disabilities. So it's easy for us to get into the seats. And of course, the ushers at Fenway Park are wonderful. They help us tremendously. They help us get into our seats we don't have to climb hardly any stairs at all based on where the seats are located. And the ticket price for the group is very reasonable. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that it's a handicapped group. We sit in right field grandstand section three for those people who are familiar with Fenway Park. That's the kind of thing that more teams ought to be doing. We've had a guest on this program named Bryce Weiler, who's a dis disability coordinator for the Orioles. I know Bryce. And he's told me that there just are not 
other teams in the game that have disability coordinators. The Orioles are the one team that does, and even though the Red Sox may not have a coordinator, they seem to be going in the right direction toward how to handle disabled customers. The ticket office has worked with me very well over the years. They understand that our group has disabilities, and whoever I speak with on the phone, whether it's Jennifer or Adam or Scott or Kayla, those are the four people that I've dealt with in the past eight years or nine years, and they are very sensitive to our needs. They really understand very well what we deal with. On the Baseball Lifer, my guest is Bob Branco, host of Sports Roundtable. And that's the subject now. How did Sports Roundtable begin? I joined in in the middle of the movie. Well, Sports Roundtable originally had its start on New Bedford Cable Access Television and Fairhaven Cable Access Television, actually, back in 2005. We did it in Fairhaven, and then we moved over to Rochester, Massachusetts for a little while. And then we spent several years doing it in New Bedford. We used to take live phone calls. I would be on the panel with three or four other people. From approximately 2008 to 2014, then I did sports talk for Radio Perkins on a monthly basis through their alumni focus program. And then I kicked around the possibility of starting my own sports podcast. I had just started In Perspective, which is my other podcast, and I was telling the late Al Hensel, who was my co-host over at In Perspective, gee, wouldn't it be nice if we revamped sports roundtable only this time make it a podcast so al and i along with lynn gagnon tom daly and, and the late bob hache we formed a panel and we started sports roundtable back in november of 2017 and we have done 327 episodes. It wasn't always the same panel. We turned it over, obviously. Two of them passed away, Al and Bob. And then, of course, you joined and Peter Alchil joined. And we had a couple of other resignations, but they were replaced by Luther and then eventually Reverend Mike. But the point is that we have now done, or I have now done, a total of 327 episodes of Sports Roundtable since November of 2017. And unlike my show, which focuses 100% on baseball, yours covers the waterfront as far as major North American sports, baseball, football, basketball, and hockey. Yep, along with college sports once in a while. Last week we had a show on NASCAR. So we try to cover as much ground as we possibly can. And it doesn't hurt that Boston has some of the best teams in those sports you've got the red sox you've got the new england patriots you've got the celts and you've got the bruins well we have a big market here in boston too and actually since 2000 i think we've had 12 championships in the city of boston when you want to talk about the four professional sports the celtics won the bruins won the red sox four and the Patriots six. So we've had 12 championships 
in the city of Boston since the turn of the century. What a great place to have a program like Sports Roundtable. And you've you've done well with it. You've done, you said, 300 and some episodes. That's over five years. You've also, at the same time, been running in perspective. I can run one podcast during a week, probably, and that's when I stay healthy. Tell me about In Perspective, even though it started before Sports Roundtable. How did In Perspective come to be, and how have you kept it going for as many years as you have? Well, again, this was the brainchild of myself and Al Hensel. We got together and we decided to do a weekly podcast. At first, we would just talk between ourselves for half an hour, and then it evolved to a show where we would invite special guests. And then we made it a one-hour program after a while. And we cover all topics on the show. We've talked about medical issues. We've talked about blindness issues. We've talked to many authors. We've talked politics. We've talked religion. We've even talked sports. You've been on In Perspective already. And eventually Al left the show and Peter Alchil replaced him and he's been co-host now with me since the summer of 2020. Yes, and Peter's a brilliant mind, Princeton graduate, and he's a great contributor to both shows, to In Perspective and Sports Roundtable. He is a valuable asset to both, you're correct. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Bob Branco, and the main reason I wanted to bring you on is you've come up with something new. If you're talking about a game, creating a game, everything is going to be computer this, computer that. I don't know when somebody has come up with a board game until you did, and it's called Bobby Ball. So, And it's a baseball board game. It's the kind of thing that you can imagine that game existing before all these computerized games. And Jim Kitchen, the late and lamented Jim Kitchen, created a great many computer games for blind people. But here you've com- you you've created a brand new board game. So would you give us a general idea about Bobby Ball? I came up with the idea back in 2015. I decided that it's it was been cooking time. for a while. Yes, it has. And I'll explain why it cooked for so long or simmered for that matter. I thought that it would be great since I'm a baseball fan and I know a lot of other blind people who are to invent the concept of having blind people and sighted people play baseball in the form of a board game. So I created the game. I bought some of the accessories from a game company called Ralco Games. And I created the rules for it. And then I went through the process of trying to have the game copyrighted. And apparently I succeeded, according to the last attorney that I spoke with. I sat on this project for eight years, and I'll tell you why I did that, Don. 
after doing the work in 2015, I had trouble figuring out how to raise money for initial marketing and mass production. I still don't know yet what the best approach should be legally. How do you raise money legally? Because not all inventors are rich, Don. I think you know this. Uh, many inventors, oh, yeah. many inventors are of average income. They don't have the capital to automatically mass produce what they invent. They need funding to do that. So I'm trying to work on what that funding is going to be. And until I do, uh, I'm just satisfied promoting the game and uh, inviting people like you to play it, as you did the other day on a chat line. You and my two other friends, Scott and Steve, we all got together and played Bobby Ball. And the idea of the game is you, you roll the dice or you spin a wheel. I mean, it's a lot more involved with that. I can explain whatever you want me to explain from here. But the idea is the same as if you were playing a, a baseball game. There are three outs in an inning or in a half inning, balls and strikes. You either get on base or you hit a, or you hit a home run or you, you ground out or you get out. And, you know, it tries to follow the same concept as a real game. And what you, the results you get are based on either what your spinner reveals or what your dice do. That is correct. Or in a case like mine where I haven't got a spinner, um, what I do is I use one dice for balls and strikes, and then I use a pair of dice because you get more different results when you use a pair of dice. So I use those if somebody's going to swing the bat and and get the different outcomes, but only one dice for for balls and strikes. That's correct. So it's a interesting system, and as it is now, it's a game that can be played on the phone line like you did, like we did, and it can be played on Zoom, as I did with one of my other former guests on this program, Troy Larson. So it it's it can be a versatile game, Bobby Ball. It can, and needless to say, it can be played on the phone. You brought up Mr. Kitchen. I've played games that Mr. Kitchen has invented. I've played Skunk on the phone. I've played Farkle on the phone. These are games that I believe Mr. Kitchen invented. I think his collection is called the kitchen sink if i'm not mistaken you got it and i said well there's nothing wrong if i do bobby ball on the phone because whether or not i use a computer i still control the situation you as the player are at my mercy yeah, you know you have, you have to take my word for it what either the computer says or what my dice says so mm -hmm. it, that's why i had no problem introducing bobby ball to the chat line because what difference does it make whether i use a board game concept or a computer concept. And when we were on the line and I played against Scott, I believe was the name of my opponent. And that was, that was a fun, fun game. In fact, the first game I joined in kind of late. So I was just a spectator. Scott was ahead 15 to five in the bottom of the last inning. But Steve, his opponent put up a seven run rally. It was 15 to 12. It was right there in the bottom of the last inning and the way bullpens are these days that's basically what's happening in major league baseball 
<laughs> More often than not, yes. So it's an exciting, interesting game that you've created, Bob, and I hope you're able to get get the copies of it made and get, get it out on the market. And even if you can't do that, I'm more than happy to join groups that play it on the phone line or on Zoom. Well, thank you for your support, Don. And at this point, while I'm figuring out how to raise the funds to get the marketing process going, I have been consulting different adaptive products companies about selling the game. There has been some interest in some cases, and I'm hoping that when I start marketing the game, that these stores will put it in their inventory. So on the Baseball Lifer podcast, we've been talking with Bob Branco, who hosts Sports Roundtable and hosts In Perspective and the inventor of Bobby Ball. Bob, thanks a lot for joining me on the program today. Don, I really want to thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure being on your show. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down. And I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here. Many thanks to Bob Branco for joining me and talking about his life, his baseball fanhood, and his creation of the game Bobby Ball. As of now, it's just a game on a chat line or on Zoom for some of us who are in on the ground floor. Hopefully one day it'll be on the shelves or on websites for companies that make or sell games that can be played by the blind and the sighted alike. I want to thank you for joining me this week on the Baseball Lifer podcast with my guest, Bob Branco. Hope you join me again next week. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. Have a good week, everybody. (laughs) 